so I've officially done it. We've done it. We've found a very early competitor to um, for the title of stupidest article of the year, and it's in the Washington Post. And you might you might not be surprised about that. Um, don't mind me while I make my tea. Um, today is going to be a very a very healthy tea, um, which is basically just garlic, ginger. Manuka honey, lemon, apple cider vinegar, um, and maybe some turmeric. Yes, some turmeric. Um, anyway, so this article is in the Washington Post. It's titled, Six Things People Believe About Politics That Are Totally Wrong. And this is by somebody called Paul Waldman. It was published on January the 16th. And it begins like this. It says, like many billionaires, Elon Musk apparently sees himself as a genius, not only in areas where he has real experience, but in all things, including politics and government, which is why he tweeted this about the omnibus spending bill Congress passed last month. And then he goes on to tweet, <laughs> to quote an Elon Musk tweet. Hold on a minute. I mean... It's a pretty good portmanteau, isn't it? A quote tweet is a tweet. It does sound a little too close to something else. Um, the tweet says, guaranteed not one person voting for it has read the whole thing. If we added that basic requirement, legislation would improve dramatically in favour of the people. End tweet. Um, and then this guy ends up, I mean, you've got to read this or I'll just read it to you. But he goes on talking about for the rest of the article the six reasons um, why we're all so stupid it would help if I boil the kettle you know talking about stupid um, why we're all so stupid and we don't understand that actually government needs to be bad in order to exist um, so I thought I'd go through them with you uh, if you have a moment uh, it says this is a common type of misinformation one that swirled about one, one that swirled about with particular intensity regarding the omnibus bill. Not that Musk doesn't believe it, I'm sure he does. His tweet shows how easy it is to be seduced by ideas that have intuitive appeal, but are completely wrong. Let's begin with Musk's assertion and work our way through some other widespread but pernicious ideas about how politics works. Okay, let's hear those pernicious ideas from Paul Waldman in the Washington Post. Number one, quote, remember this is a pernicious misinformation. Number one, if members of Congress read bills before voting on them, legislation would be better, end quote. This is what he believes to be pernicious. The idea that members should read legislation before voting on it. And here is his rationale. He says, how could anybody oppose that? But the truth is that most legislators usually don't read the text, and that's fine. It isn't because they're lazy. It's because legislation involves a specialized type of language written by experts for purposes that have nothing to do with understanding and wise decision-making. Members should know exactly what they're voting on, but the text of the bill is only tangentially related to that goal. The omnibus bill runs more than 4,000 pages because it's funding our extraordinarily complex government, which does all kinds of things we want it to do, and it is written in arcane legislative language. 
I don't care much whether my senators poured over the section on rural electrification and telecommunications loans that specifies this. And he goes on to quote a particularly arcane bit of text. I'll, I'll read it for you uh, if you want. Um, no, you don't have a choice. I'm going to read it for you. Quote, for the cost of direct loans as authorised by Section 305D2 of the Rural Electrica Electrification Act of 1936, 7 U.S. Code 935D2, including the cost of modifying loans as defined in Section 502 of the Congressional Budget Act of 1974, cost of rural uh, money, rural telecommunications loans, $3.726 million. And then he says, and neither should you care. It's enough that they've been told and are okay with about $10 billion being spent in that particular section. Well, okay, let's deal with number one here. Um, stupid, obviously, um, goes without saying. But uh, the the thrust of this, this argument, this is why you this this is why this article wins this award, by the way, for, for stupidest article of the year, at least so far. Because every single, as you'll hear from me, Every single point he makes, he's representing uh, a premise which is faulty, right? He, the, the idea that we should be okay with, he says, 10 billion being spent in that particular section. Actually, that particular section says 3.726 million dollars. So already we've got into this problem that he doesn't even seem to have fully read it. But the problem with that is the premise, right? The premise he is establishing here is that legislation is written by quote-unquote experts. He says experts, right? It, using particularly arcane language. Oh, okay, Mr. Waldman, if, if your problem is that legislators can't understand the text in front of them, then we have a wider problem here, right? The, the solution isn't, so let government do whatever government wants to do and stop you know, moaning about it. No, in reality, it is cause to moan more if your legislators are not able to pass the text that is in front of them that concerns your money, right? So uh, off the bat, we're off to a bad start with this guy's reasoning. Um, let's move on to section two, um, because I don't want to spend all day on this. Um, as you know, I'm quite frugal with my podcast. Oops, sorry about that. Adjusting the microphone here. Still getting used to doing these while moving around, as in this case, making a cup of tea, which I always do now on these things. Number two, quote, again, pernicious idea, right? Quote, if only we stopped wasteful spending, we'd solve most of our problems. Okay, so uh, a pernicious idea is to stop wasteful spending. I mean, talk about Overton window shifting. Um, let's see his rationale for it here. Quote, waste is bad after all, and there is plenty of waste in government, just as there's waste in pretty much every corporation and non-profit organization everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> again, I mean, this guy and his premises, but not every corporation and non-profit requires you by threat of violence or imprisonment that you must fund it. So, <laughs> again, like the basic ideas of oversight and accountability are just well over this guy's head. Um, waste is bad, after all. There's plenty of waste in government, just as there's plenty of 
waste in pretty much every corporation and non-profit organization everywhere. But when someone rails against wasteful spending, they seldom specify exactly which spending is supposedly wasteful. Um, bullshit. <laughs> I am bored to the tears in hearing politicians and talking heads going on television specifying massive amounts of wasteful spending. I mean, to me, that's become, you know, kind of, kind of de rigueur, right? It's just what you expect to hear every day. This guy's saying we don't hear about it. Um, if you press them, he says, they'll probably cite either spending that's utterly trivial, some silly sounding program that spent a few hundred thousand dollars somewhere, or spending that is quite important and they don't happen to like. Some people think Medicaid is wasteful, but the tens of billions of Americans who count on it likely disagree. <laughs> I mean, he sounds like a hectoring old wife. As a corollary, he says, some assert that stopping spending will tame inflation. Quote, the only way to stop soaring inflation is to stop reckless spending, end quote, Senator Rick Scott tweeted last month. Sounds reasonable, right? But inflation is declining, not soaring. And while the level of government spending can contribute to inflation, lots of other factors affect it too. Interest rates, the resilience of supply chains, and the weather, to name a few. Okay, <laughs> right. At this point... This guy is a fucking parody, excuse me, a parody of a liberal, right? At this point, you've got to wonder whether the Washington Post is pulling your leg. Um, but also, you've got to wonder if he isn't a parody of the left, which I, I don't suppose he is, because it's not really the Washington Post's nature to be able to laugh at itself. Um, well, then, this is... This is a really bad problem they've got in terms of who commissioned and edited this. Because it's, it's, I mean, look, he's allowed to embarrass himself. You're allowed to be stupid. It's a relatively free country. Um, but as an editor, I'm not sure you should, you should be publishing something like this. It's embarrassing. Um, it's embarrassing because his corollary, he says, is that government spent firstly that inflation is declining not soaring I, I mean I guess if you're looking at it over like the last 45 days <laughs> but um, lots of other factors remember interest rates <laughs> the resilience of supply chains and the weather to name a few yeah okay well nobody's denying that I mean Rick Scott wasn't denying that other factors can play into inflation. Um, these guys happen to choose some of the ones that are, again, extremely contemporaneous and not necessarily, you know, founded in, in, in greater, wider economic theory. Um, Rick Scott was saying that massive government spending bills at a time of already, you know, economic uncertainty given the pandemic is probably going to raise prices quite a bit. And if you want to tamp down on that in the biggest possible way, you maybe don't authorize the federal government to be spending $5 trillion dumping that into the economy. I mean, do I, am I having to give an Economics 101 lecture to this guy at this point? Um, number three, uh, quote, my family balances its budget. Why shouldn't the government, end quote. Again, remember, this is a pernicious uh, mis misinformation. 
that occurs about government. That's how we describe these things before going on to, you know, invent them, invent these straw man arguments. He says the reason is that the government is not a family or a household. Oh, here I was thinking the government was a family or a household. <laughs> For instance, when times are tough, deficits do and should go up. That's because the government brings in less revenue and has to do more to help people. If the government slash, I want to speak in this guy's voice. If the government, if the government slashed spending during every recession to balance the budget, it would only make things worse. Um, yeah, obviously not true. Um, <laughs> I'll continue. Your family also probably borrows money to invest in important long-term projects that cost too much money to pay cash up front, like your home or education. So should government. Okay. You, do I need to? You, you, he starts by saying the reason is that the government is not a family or a household. He actually means nor a household. Uh, and his editor does too. Uh, and then he ends by saying your family also borrows money, so should government. Well, hold on a minute. I thought government wasn't my family or my household, nor my household. See, I'm doing it now. But now, by the end of his 75-word argument, it is. So it, it does do... My family does that, so government should do that. Right. <laughs> Number four. Oh, this is good. Number four is... I think there's about 20 words justifying this. This will be good. Quote, government should be run like a business. End quote. Uh, uh, a pernicious misinformation. Okay. But government isn't a business. Oh, government isn't a business, guys. I'm so glad this guy wrote this in the Washington Post. I've been thinking government was a business all this time. I've just been thinking that it's a business that I voluntarily go in and spend ridiculous amounts of money with, uh, with a return that shows almost nothing. Oh, it's not a business. Okay, government isn't a business. It's not an enterprise devoted to obtaining profits. It does many things that cost money, but don't produce a financial return like delivering mail to far-flung rural addresses or caring for the sick. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, does anybody want to tell this guy that caring for the sick is actually one of the most lucrative businesses in the world? Um, but, but barring that, um, I mean, half of what he's written is, is, is already hilarious. But <laughs> I'm not sure that when anybody says government should be run like a business they think of profiteering off the mail service right i think they just want the mail service to you know run commensurate with how a business is run like as in not keep losing money hand over fist and parcels and letters but but you know maybe maybe just if if the government is going to be in that industry and there's very many arguments why it shouldn't be anymore but if the government is going to be in that industry, then then perhaps there's a benchmark, and that benchmark is how the private sector can do it, because that's that's people coming together and doing that themselves without, you know, uh, coercion, tax coercion surrounding it. I, I don't know. I mean, it's just a theory. It's just a theory. That's crazy. Um, but I don't think what they're saying is, you know, we. <laughs> 
I think you already know. I'm going to move on. Number five. Um, the parties need... Okay, this is a good one. Quote, the parties need to stop the partisan squabbling and get things done. End quote. This is an incredibly common idea, one driven by the presumption that political differences are meaningless. But especially in our polarised age, political differences are incredibly meaningful. Partisan squabbles over questions such as whether abortion should be legal, whether taxes for the wealthy should go up or down, what to do about climate change, whether to extend health coverage to more people, and whether workers deserve high pay, higher pay, just to name a few. These there aren't non-partisan answers to these questions just waiting to be seized if people would put aside party loyalties. Those loyalties are driven by deeply held values, and a lot of the time, conservative and liberal values aren't compatible. Right, so he sort of gets this right. You know, he, the, 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 in this case, the premise is correct that, that the values differ massively. And we have been, we're the ones who've been saying that for so long. And every time we say that and we talk about the divided America and the national divorce and all of that, you know, the left just goes, oh, you're insurrectionists, you're terrorists, you're trying to destroy everything. He seems to be admitting that that premise is correct here. But he also undoes his own, you know, perspective on, on the nature of governance as, as has been established, if anything's been established, over the course of the, the previous course of this article. Um, because he says there aren't non-partisan answers um, to these questions just waiting to be seized if people would put aside party loyalties. Yeah, but the point of, of representative government, as we are led to understand it, by places like the Washington Post, is that not, it's not necessarily non-partisan, but it's bipartisan, right? It's the, the idea of a compromise because the nation has, has differing ideas on this. But, but it's always the other way, right? It's always steamroller you know, abortions until birth, you know, you can transition one way, but if you try and transition somebody the other way, you're going to prison, no conversion therapies, you know, all of that kind of stuff. It's all one way. So you can see why he doesn't quite reach the point, because he's coming at the argument from such a, like, clearly, he's unable, he's just fundamentally unable to appreciate that while there are deeply held, different deeply held values, that one of them may be more legitimate than the other, and that the other might see, you know, be stuck in their little um, echo chamber about it because he's in the echo chamber. It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, it's truly amazing. He's so close to get. I might have to reach out to him and say, "Listen, you were so close to getting it." Um, and number six. I mean, I kind of want to spend a little bit more time on number five there as well because he talks about. Parties, partisans squabble over questions such as whether abortion should be legal, whether taxes for the wealthy should go up or down, what to do about climate change, whether to extend health coverage to more people, and whether workers deserve higher pay. I mean, everything he's writing there as examples of what partisans squabble over is when the left has grabbed too much of the pie, you know, over the course of well, in the in the political discourse and in the political reality, um, and run and run so far to the left with it. All of these are issues that have arisen as a result of wanton progressivism. I really want to write a book one day that's just called like you know, leftists. Don't you see how you've messed everything up? Which is actually aimed at and marketed at the left. I wonder if any of them would bother to read it. Um, number six, quote, 
We need more people in Congress who aren't politicians, end quote. Wow, what a dangerous misinformation to suggest that we need people in Congress who aren't politicians. You see what he's doing here. I mean, he's creating this situation where, um, oh, I'm going to add this honey, where he um, is sort of othering, you know, basic constitutional ideas, but or ba not even constitutional ideas, basic ideas of representative democracy. Magna Carta, it's, it's, it's this kind of technocratic, um, we know better, don't you dare. Um, but what's interesting about it is it's, it's written by somebody who, A, obviously isn't very intelligent, but B, I, I, look, I quickly looked into this guy earlier today. And I think he like used to work for the American Prospect, which is quite an ideological left-wing magazine. You'd think this guy would understand a little bit about the um, political establishment and its persecution against anything outside of the globalist center. And the reason I say that is because you know, the American Prospect and those guys were not really welcomed into the general left-wing fold. I mean, it's not as if it's their Fox News. It's on the peripheries as far as a lot of leftists are concerned. Anyway, I guess he just didn't learn anything. Um, you hear this often from first-time candidates who present their lack of qualifications as their key qualification. Yes, politicians are prey to some bad tendencies, self-aggrandizement, cravenness, short-term thinking. Just as you wouldn't hire an accountant to rewire your house or an electrician to do your taxes, you need people who understand politics and policy to deal with political and policy questions. To return to the omnibus spending bill, none of this means that there aren't objectionable things in there. There are, but they didn't get there because members didn't read the bill or because anyone was being reckless or because of a deficit of common sense. They were choices, some of which you might like and some of which you won't, that's how policy making works. A stunning. That is stunning. He manages to blame the ordinary American voter taxpayer for the fact that these things exist. And we should stop complaining. Stop complaining, guys, that your representatives aren't reading the bills they're signing, stop complaining that they're reckless, stop complaining that they lack common sense, and stop complaining um, that there are objectionable things in there. Of course there are objectionable things in there. And that's just the way it is, because that's how policy making works. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, this is really, really pernicious itself, I think. An attack on the idea of having non-swamp people in the swamp. I mean, that's what it's all come down to, hasn't it, over the last several years, is that some of you guys kind of started waking up to this stuff probably quite soon after the Iraq war. Some of you may claim prior to that. Um, and now it's just got to a point where, you know, 2016, Brexit, Trump, the, the sorts of people that were being allowed to work in government jobs in the Trump administration. Oh, ghastly, ghastly, ordinary people with ordinary people ideas. 
who actually ended up doing things a, a whole lot better than these so-called experts. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I mean, that article already has 2,500 comments on it, so maybe the thing was a massive troll. Um, I don't know, just to trigger comments and clicks and, and to get me to do another podcast. But I present to you, um, I will read it one more time, by Paul Waldman in the Washington Post opinion section today. Six things people believe about politics that are totally wrong. I submit that to you so far as the worst article I have read this year. And now I'm going to go enjoy my tea. Have a good day. Thank <laughs> you.